You're listening to Conversations, brought to you by TechSquare ATL. Welcome to the Hump Day Exchange. I'm your host, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. We're recording in front of a live audience in TechSquare, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene. And we're excited to bring you this episode. Hump Day Exchange is a collaborative effort of Sandbox ATL, ATDC, and Georgia Tech's Scheller College of Business. Today, our topic is smart cities and transit, and we're going to talk with three experts who are each leveraging sensors and real-time data analytics to make cities better places to live, work, and move around. If you're listening to our show for the first time, here's how the program will go. First, I'm going to invite each guest into the hot seat for a one-on-one conversation focused on their perspective. Once uh, all three are through, we'll uh, gather them for a roundtable conversation where they get to ask each other questions. And then we'll finish with a town hall Q&A style um, a session with our live audience. Uh, just to prove for the fact that there is a live audience, how about a round of applause for our, our guests today, everyone in the audience. It's amazing where you can find audio samples of crowds nowadays. So. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Um, all right, let's start with our first guest. Get him into the hot seat. Uh, well, first off, I want to at least recognize we have three great guests. We have Kirk Talbot uh, from the city of Atlanta, uh, Christian Kotcher from the Metro Tech Transit, and Sarah Mingsai from MARTA. So we're going to start with Kirk Tal- uh, Talbot, Deputy CIO for the city of Atlanta. Now, uh, Kirk's a product of Rice University, starting his career in the private sector, working for BSG Consulting and Western Digital, before jumping into the public sector, which uh, with, with stops in areas with a focus on transit in San Diego, Austin, Chicago, and now Atlanta, those greater metropolitan areas. Um, as the deputy CIO, he's overseeing the Smart uh, Atlanta, Smart ATL, which is the city's centralized smart city office, I mean, sorry, city um, yeah, city office, centralized office, right? That's, that's what it is. Working with Smart City Network, uh, partners that include uh, folks from the municipal industry and university lab areas. That includes MARTA, uh, Atlanta Regional Commission, Invest Atlanta, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, AT&T, Metro Tech, and many other companies. So, whew, that was one breath. I'm glad Welcome, you said Kirk. It, not me. Welcome, Kirk. Thank so you. let's start with some easy questions. Um, what gets you most excited about this emerging concept of the smart city? Uh, Easy to ask, hard to answer. I think probably it's the enormous potential. Uh, A lot of what we end up doing typically in technology projects for government are very well defined. Uh, There's a narrow scope, it's well-known outcomes, uh, but with Smart City, it's such a new emerging market that it's not really predefined. We're still talking with vendors, helping them to even figure out what kind of product offerings make sense. So we're exploring it together. So it's the almost unlimited potential, I think, that's most exciting about it. Now, you, you've uh, worked in the private sector and, and in the public sector. What, what are the differences uh, uh, in between the two? Well, uh, typically, when you boil it down to the very essence, private sector is about maximizing the profit for the shareholders. So it's about how do we deliver the most value for whatever investment we made. Uh, In government, it's more nuanced. So you're looking at um, regulatory compliance, you're looking at social equity, you're looking at outcomes that are not just purely economically driven. So you're looking at how do we take the limited resources the citizens have given us and maximize a broad range of value. And where it gets interesting is everyone defines that value differently. So you really have to think a lot more about what constitutes value in the government space. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you seen a shift within um, governmental IT culture and uh, systems as we've seen this, you know, all the transformation happening in the, in the digital space, especially when it comes to open collaboration and, and sensors in everyone's pockets? Um, 
as I've looked across multiple different types of government, there has been a shift in some pockets, but it still hasn't caught on uh, nationwide. There are certain uh, types of government services that are absolutely affected by this shift, and uh, they're feeling it more, and I think they're, they're adapting faster, but there's definitely some government services that haven't felt that change yet. So how would you, um You've been around for a little over a year in the city of Atlanta? Yes. Right? So, yes. And having spent you know, time with uh, municipal uh, bodies within Chicago and Austin and San Diego, how would you characterize what's happening here in the city of Atlanta? Wow. Uh, that's a broad one. I, I think the city of Atlanta, based on its unique personality, um, is a really vibrant um, hotbed of activity. And so consequently, there's a whole bunch of uh, intersections of interesting technologies, financial models, government services that are coming together here that in places such as Chicago, which tends to be more traditional, uh, a little bit more stable, uh, more mature, if you will, in a market, they, they don't see that. So it's really uh, what's happening in the government space, I think, is very reflective of what the social and demographic environment looks like as well. Hmm. So let's go a little bit deeper into the city of Atlanta's uh, smart city initiative, smart ATL. Um, what what is where did this come from and and where is it headed well there was a few things that sparked it but uh what i like to say and i think everyone has a slightly different perspective on what really kicked it off but uh, the city of atlanta passed a um, a major bond a municipal bond worth about 250 million dollars about i think it was two years ago and that said we're going to take that money and we're going to make the best investment we can to improve the state of the city and when those dollars started getting programmed into actual activities was when the smart city um, movement really started to take traction. We said, you know, we could spend that quarter of a billion dollars one way, or we could look at it and see if we can spend that money a little bit more efficiently and effectively and have a much broader reach than what would have historically been done with a capital project. And so it, it launched a number of activities inside the city to say, if we spend that dollar wiser, how can we do that? Which started the, the exploration process of, what, how, how can we get greater outcomes with the same amount of money? And, and using that as the frame, um, you guys have now focused in on a very specific uh, corridor that you're wanting to play around. So that's the North Avenue corridor project. What, what are you guys intending to accomplish through that? Well, we realized early on that if we took the limited dollars that we had and we spread it across the entire city, the impact would be smaller and we wouldn't necessarily see how the various technologies could play against each other and create even greater value. So we concentrated the, the uh, technology investment along this four and a half mile corridor so that we could better see what the interplay is with the technologies. Uh, the next thing we did is we went out and we, we sat down with focus groups in the, the community and we asked, what are the most pressing needs? What would you like to see? Uh, what are your top issues? And out of that came five key drivers that were hoping by uh, running this laboratory, if you will, on North Avenue to see how can we best impact those drivers. And those are uh, in no particular order. They're transportation, public safety, uh, sustainability, so uh, ecological impact, uh, economic development, and operational efficiency for the city. And so um, I know the city of Atlanta and the Smart, Smart Atlanta uh, has, has come on board as a partner within the Marta Hackathon series, and we're going to touch on this with, with Ming. Um, that's happening February 24th and 25th right here in the garage where we're taping this. I'm, I'm curious, what are you guys within the city of Atlanta hoping to see emerge from that hackathon and the hackathon series itself, and how can that tie into what you're doing with North Avenue? Right. 
actually, it, it helps us solve one of the, the bigger challenges, which is we can figure out the technology, we can figure out the communications, and the, how do you manage this infrastructure. But one of the biggest questions is, once you figure out what technology you're going to put down, that will inevitably generate data. And the data is only useful if people want to consume it and use it in meaningful ways. We still don't know because the market is evolving what's the best way to use that data. So we're hoping that through hackathons and other means, we can put the data that's possible out there and get a feedback of what is the most powerful impact of this data and how can we best use this data. Hmm. Because what you'll see if you look across the nation is lots of cities are doing things and everybody's experimenting. What if we took this data and made it available to citizens? So we want to find out as fast as possible what is the most important data that we can get in the hands of the citizens. Hmm. Well, um, I'm going to take you out of the hot seat now, but before I do, uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? Ah, well, um, we have a nice website, uh, atlantaga.gov. It's kind of broad. It's the entire city. <laughs> um, you can look at me individually. I'm on LinkedIn under Kirk Talbot. I think there's only a handful of those. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. What about, uh, I mean, how can people learn more about the smart uh, ATL? Sorry. At this point in time, we don't have, uh, I don't believe we have, we're, we're still developing our, our marketing materials. I don't believe we have a fully functional website on that yet, but we hope in the next month or so to be launching a uh, smart ATL website where the citizens can see what's going on and where the projects stand. Well, until you do that, I'm, we'll encourage people to go to martahackathon.org where we'll have some good links. To, Even better. Uh, to an interview that we, you, me and Jason recorded beforehand so they can learn more. And if you're interested in the Marta Hackathon, what, what the city of Atlanta is doing. So um, thank you very much for being on the hot seat. You're out of the hot seat. We're going to bring you back for the round table. So round of applause for him for surviving. Thank you. All right. All right. Let's jump into the private sector. I'm going to have Christian Kotcher, CEO and founder of Metro TechNet. Did I get that right, Kotcher? You got it. Yeah, right. Kotcher. You're, so, that's rare. I want to start off with the most important part uh, yep. in preparing for this. You I, got it. I've known you for a couple of years. Yep. Didn't realize you're an Iowan and I'm a Nebraskan. That's right. Or as we call you, Iwegians. Uh, <laughs> and, and since we're talking transit, uh, Iowa, for the longest time, had blue license plates with white lettering. <laughs> and so the joke was, uh, do you know what Iowa stands for? It means idiots out wandering, wandering around. Wandering around, yes, right. yeah. So, that's, <laughs> That is true. See, our, our niche market of Nebraska, Iowa listeners will be laughing. The rest of the world, corn, Cornhead saying, Unite. Yeah, the rest of the world will be like, "Damn, Hasey, say it over there." So you, you're, uh, you found a Metro Tech uh, yeah. Net uh, change the way the world measures traffic information, right? We're trying to. Um, you get the first cloud-based traffic sensing network that mm -hmm. launched February 2012. Yep. Selected as one of the top 40 innovative companies of 2013, but 2013, excuse me, by the Technology Association of Georgia and. Um, you've been doing a whole bunch of workshops, events, marketing initiatives, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, so what is your elevator pitch for Metro TechNet? Uh, we, uh, well, well, wow. Um, so <laughs> I threw we, you with the Iowa thing. That's we help totally kill traffic, email. right. So uh, our, our whole mission is to uh, provide better traffic information to allow all of the five things that Kirk mentioned, we help address. So if you think traffic is good enough on your iPhone, on your Google Maps, then answer me a simple question. Has you, have you ever come on to a red that wasn't on your phone? And have you ever you know, driven through a red and it wasn't anything there? And that's what we aim to fix. Hmm. So we've realized that um, smarter cities need to have uh, an organization of their data so they, that they need help with, that we're helping organize. And then that needs to be broadcast out to connected cars, apps and maps, autonomous vehicles. And really, I guess from an elevator pitch standpoint, if you think uh, the autonomous car doesn't uh, need more data than you do, then you're not really paying attention, right? They can, they can 
assimilate more data in about a minute than we could read in about a, in a month. Mm. So autonomous cars need to know lane level. They need to know real-time data set. So we extend their sensors. We take the smarter city sensors and convert them and push them out to the, to the smarter city and the connected cars. So you're in a background uh, had you start at the University of Iowa, mm -hmm. degree in finance, international business, then graduate school at University of Tampa. Um, your career is taking you through world of finance, data analysis, sales consulting, now mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. Where was that moment where you're like, I'm creating this company? Where was that aha moment? It's a horrible moment. Um, in uh, 2005, uh, so I, for, I had the, the privilege, the honor, and the, the lament to be able to be uh, presenting to FDNY, uh, the uh, Fire Department of New York, um, the remaining 100 breaths in January 2002 showing them technologies that can help us respond to a 9-11 type event better. So how do we propagate wireless above 20 stories? How do we do man down alerts? How do we do location-based stuff? So I was in Homeland Security for about five years after 9-11. And in 2005, when I was transitioning from a global solutions role at IBM um, into more of a, a national sales role, uh, I had three friends of my family die in three different car crashes within six weeks. Wow. And I went to my leadership and I said, okay, I'm putting RFID on bombs, we're doing sonar underneath the Navy Pier, I'm putting video analytics in New York City and Chicago, stuff around the world that was just cutting edge stuff, and yet we still lose about 40,000 lives a year uh, on, on the roads just in America, not to mention the rest of the world, it's about a million. It's not an accurate count, but it's, it's about a million. And. Uh, so I, I went and I said, look, I, I want to try to save lives with this technology. And I, what I quickly discovered, it wasn't the technology that was a limiting factor. It was how we organize. Mm -hmm. It was the business model. It was the organizational effects from a public-private standpoint. And so the first thing we had to solve was how do we fix it business-wise. And, and uh, we've been working on that for the last several years. So it was that moment. I, I formed an ITS practice, Intelligent Transportation Solutions at IBM. I ran that for a couple of years. Um, I then quickly moved out and started doing this on the private side. And, you know, we want to eliminate the stovepipes within government. We want to try to do a vertical integration as well as a horizontal integration. And we know that, you know, a company like Ford doesn't want to have to come and talk to Atlanta and Cobb and Gwinnett and all the different organizations. They want to come to a single source, and that's what we're creating. Mm. A single source to bring all of their sensor data, all of their video drive sensor data into a single source that we can turn around and, and provide to Uber, to UPS, to Ford, to GM, and to everybody that wants smarter city data in their vehicles to help save lives, reduce the uh, uh, congestion, and uh, increase sustainability. So what, what you guys are, have built around, if I remember correctly, is, is already in place. The video yep. camera's already in place. So yep. We're not talking about... Right. It's already Not a there. construction project. All, this, all these kinds of cameras everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what exactly, uh, what, what happens? I mean, how does it, how do you tap that in? So that? one of my favorite stories is New York City put up a virtual server, gave us a VPN address. We went in and we logged in, installed our software, and put it in and configured it and started counting cars. And I called up my engineer and I said, okay, so are we live in New York? Yes, we are. We're on, I think it was... Uh, was it Ninth Avenue and Forty Second Street, something like that? And I said, "So, what? Uh, so, how many cars we count?" And they said, zero. And I said, "Is it working?" And they said, "Well, yeah, it's working." And I said, "Well, what happened?" It was the night they had that snowstorm where they closed down New York City. Mm. So we were we were taking video, but there were zero cars. So the next day, all of a sudden, cars started pouring in. We got counts. We got lane level. We get speeds. So literally, uh, Kirk did a project uh, last year in the middle of the year where we put in AT and T Metrotech cameras on Spring Street and North Avenue. 
uh, on a Saturday, we deployed them, and on Monday morning, we showed them to Mayor Kasim Reed and his cabinet meeting saying, here's the dashboard of what happened on North Avenue from Saturday to Monday. Hmm. Here are the counts, here's the lane level, here's the speeds. We do things like wrong way driver alerts, congestion alerts. So anything that you need to measure in a street to know what's going on, that's the domain that we're doing, is to really measure streets very well, organize that, and then broadcast it out to multiple consumers, multiple subscribers. Now, you guys are, um, your company's part of ATDC, the mm -hmm. uh, startup incubator here at Georgia Tech yep. and Tech Square, uh, statewide mission. Um, what what are you seeing in terms of uh, the, the other startups that you're around and that are you can find here in Atlanta and, and in Georgia that are taking on smart city type of initiatives? <clears throat> uh, so a couple of years ago, Tino uh, at, at TAG uh, announced a, a new society called Autotech because we have Porsche, we have Kia, we had uh, Mercedes moving here, the U.S. headquarters, and we were actually leaving the at a, at a tech day in, in D.C., leaving the uh, a Georgia congressman's office after he told they were doing this Autotech council, and I said, Tino, remember this Transtech idea I threw out to you? He said, oh, yeah. You know, I said, well, why would we want to create a society that uh, excluded the city of Atlanta, Delta Airlines, UPS, by calling it Autotech. We need to call it Transtech. And Tino said, well, write something up. So we did, and uh, we renamed it Transtech, and, and Metrotech and myself and some of my co-founders are the founding members of a Transtech society. Mm -hmm. So companies like Rody, uh, mm -hmm. Park Mobile, you know, we've got all these great startups in Atlanta that are transportation-based, but think about their logistic engineers and consultants around the world based on UPS, Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Delta, out of Atlanta. We're the logistics capital of the world. Mm -hmm. If we're not the transportation technology capital of the world, what did we do wrong? Mm. Why did we not grab that? We should be the Silicon Valley of transportation technology. So the TAG Transtech Council that we founded, or the, the society, we believe is the first start of that. The next is to start bringing investors in to focus on Transtech companies, like we have FinTech Focus and Health mm. IT, but I mean, Atlanta's Transtech, you know, Terminus is how we started. Yep. We've got, you yeah, know. The whole reason of the city was the railroads. Right, right. Yeah. and now the interstates, and now the the uh, the airport, and then we got the port in Savannah, we got inland ports, we got all this stuff. So uh, we see as making kind of lemons uh, into lemonade, is that we've got really bad traffic, worse in the world, worse in the US, top five, whatever it is. We can't build wider, we've gotta build smarter. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, have been working with state level, city level. We, we're deployed in Silicon Valley. Um, we've got deployments in Texas, uh, Tampa, uh, all around Florida. We actually just got a port deal this this uh, week in Miami. We'll be deploying to measure trucks and transportation congestion around the port of Tampa, which will then go to the 16 other ports in, in the state of Florida. Um, but we're looking to create a national standard because there is no national standard of how smarter city data is deployed out to Uber, UPS, Ford, GM, AT&T, Verizon. Um, we're writing that standard right now, and, and that's what we're we're very rapidly trying to get Atlanta as our, our spotlight city. We're a part of the AT&T Alliance for smart Spotlight Cities and Smarter Cities, and Atlanta, Miami are our first two. AT&T is bringing us into a new one. We're also working with their connected car group, their fleet group. So uh, having AT&T based here and Verizon Telematics based here is a huge advantage that, again, if we don't take advantage of it at Atlanta, we're missing the boat. We really need to organize to, to get this done. Really good points. Really, really good points there. 
So uh, where where can people find you on the interwebs? So metrotech-net is a horrible website. After my Series A, metrotech.io is about $10,000 we'll get. But until that time, metrotech-net.com, Christian Kotcher, K-O-T-S-C-H-E-R, and uh, pretty easy to find. And one thing I'll share, and I'll probably send to you, uh, I found an article today that I wrote in 2012 for uh, Thinking Highways. Hmm that talked about digital cities and smarter cities, which I, I founded a, a smarter city solution at IBM. And I'm shocked at how much better I explained it in 2012 than I sometimes explain it today <laughs> in 2017. So we'll share that because I think it really, you know, okay. shows you how long we've been yeah. working on this and, and how important it is. We'll uh, look forward to sharing that in the link when Super. we publish those. Thank you, Christian. Thanks. A round of applause for him as he exits the hot seat. And then a round of applause to continue with Sarah Ming Tsai from MARTA. Hey. CIO of MARTA, who's uh, our partner and uh, chief advocate of the MARTA Hackathon series. Now, um, Ming, you're assistant general manager of in information technology and the mm -hmm. CIO. You're yes. responsible for planning, developing, implementing all of this great stuff for MARTA's Department of Technology. Now, before MARTA, you've been in for-profit like AT&T, Bass Hotels and Resorts, Hitachi Data Systems. And then uh, consultant for Department of Defense, Fulton County, mm -hmm. um, Core Systems, Georgia State product, right? As well as the Georgia Tech uh, master's degree. Um, really enjoyed getting to know you so far working on the Marta Hackathon. I'm, I'm curious, what's getting you so excited about this emerging concept of smart cities? Um, actually, uh, at MARTA, we started the, what we call the in-transportation world. We started as the, called the Intelligent Transportation System way before the cellular Wi-Fi network started. Um, uh, one time, I actually went back to the uh, back of our train control system, and I saw this 96-ball modem was communicating with all the sensors on the field track. I don't even know your millennial listener know what a modem <laughs> is. Did anybody know? The sweet noise of a modem connecting. Yes, yes. yes. So um, we put all the sensors on the track, and then they communicate back to the office. It was uh, old days, it was using modem, and then we converted to the network. Um, it, actually, the first practical use is uh, the on-the-go app of MARTA, uh, which tell you where the next train is. So if you use it, it's on the iPhone, but it, behind the scene is a 25-0 uh, server running. It's some quite old technology. But this is what we do at the transportation uh, transit world. We started with putting sensors on tracks, and then we put the sensors on the buses about 10 years ago. And that's also when we started releasing these data with our on-the-go app showing where the bus at. But one of the complaints I'm getting is, you know, the bus is already gone and you're still showing here. The reason is we're using a radio network and uh, the data is pulled at every two minutes. So when the bus zoom by and, uh, you know, the communication just get back to the office. So what right now what we are looking at it, the excitement going on is building a cellular Wi-Fi kind of infrastructure. So getting the data to back the system and back to on your, you know, on your smartphone in your palm at a really fast speed and really benefit our riders to tell them where to go when the train going to be there, so or when the bus is going to be there. It helped them, you know, alleviate some of the pain while waiting for the buses and everything. Oh yeah, and I think you know, most most people, most individuals, you know, this is just magic that this stuff can happen, right? That 
we have these little pieces of bla uh, glass and metal in our hands that we can talk to the world and see funny cat videos anywhere we want to be. <laughs> Why can't I have it in uh, Peachtree Center Station when I'm 400 meters below in granite bedrock? Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure That's issues, correct. I would imagine. So, I mean, you want to share a little bit more of kind of the exciting stuff that you guys are working on to upgrade some infrastructure to make the, the MARTA uh, system uh, a lot more connected? Yeah, definitely. And this is one of the unique part of being a CIO at a, a transportation uh, company. Um, most of CIO don't have to worry about, you know, providing cellular network. But uh, MARTA, when I first took my position three years ago, and I heard all the complaint on the Facebook and Twitter, like, you know, I can't even make a call down at the Petri Center. So I went did some research. It's not a lack of trying. MARTA been trying to put a cellular network uh, at the Petrie Center in an under, um, underground tunnel for 10 years. We released like four RFP, uh, but it, it wasn't very successful. I think part of it is the cost. The cost actually building a cell network down at underground station costs about 20 some million dollars. And also it requires expertise to work with different carrier mm -hmm. because AT&T's requirement probably is different from Verizon. So after that, I actually did some research, find out, you know, there's this company called Neutral Host Providers. They actually specialize in building cellular network for your stadium or for your uh, transit companies, uh, we released RFP, we made it uh, so sweet, the deal so sweet, and actually uh, we awarded uh, last March um, to go with the company to build it uh, for free for MARTA, and also we do some profit sharing. Hmm. That way, um, you know, it's actually good, it benefits the company, also benefits MARTA, and the most important, it benefits our rider. Right now, they are laying fibers, um, coax cable, building up antenna at a five point, Petrie Center, and the Dome Station, and that the tunnels connecting them. So hopefully by February, we'll be able to have a, a kind of pilot three station and getting some of the carrier sign on, mm. so you can make a for say, can you hear me now? <laughs> I can't wait to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be exciting. To, uh, I can check my Twitter feed when I'm waiting <laughs> down in Peachtree Center. Um, now, you you, you're, you have you had this vision, which has become the, the MARTA Hackathon series. It's a year-long initiative we're working with you on. What what were you hoping to achieve? What what do you what was your vision behind this? What what motivated you to do that? Well, I think the vision actually coming from our general manager. He really wanted to change the image of MARTA. Uh, traditionally, uh, we are a very closed uh, uh, company. And I want to tell a story. I don't know if uh, Scott, I don't know if Scott want me to do that. No, keep going. So, tell so, stories. So Scott approached MARTA about three years ago, uh, or maybe four or five. I can't remember. Yeah, about four years ago. Four <laughs> years ago. And I said, you, know, um, you know, I'm a startup company here, and uh, how about we partner something? Uh, and then uh, that time, by the way, I'm not a CIO then. I think just completely ignore him. And then uh, when we had the idea of we want to do a hackathon, my marketing director say, you know, sky the garage. And I, I actually I went to Charlotte, so I know the garage, and we did a pitch here, we did all kind of exercise. I, so I like, uh, you know, he may be so mad at us, they don't even, <laughs> he didn't even want to talk to us, but we connected and immediately we just uh, started planning what is the best hackathon, you know, try to put a model really out there, not only, uh, you know, um, just 
getting some ideas, but also change the image of MARTA and to get a connection with the tech community. And I think that long-term relationship is really going to benefit not only uh, the MARTA, eventually it's really the writers um, you know, we serve. Yeah, I think what, what excited me when you guys uh, said, hey, we're, we're interested in this, was like you wanted to use it as a way to get your internal culture shifted That's as well as to get connected to all the great technology talent design talent, all the, you know, all the enthusiastic transit riders who want to help make MARTA. And for you, you know, you, you're saying, let's, let's embrace it. So it's been great to see and work with you on developing this out. And I know we're not, we're at one third of the way through this. And so <laughs> we're coming up to the, the 24th and 25th of February for the next one. What, do, what are you hoping to see emerge at this, this next 24-hour um, prototype session we're doing? I think a, a couple of things. This time, I think, you know, last time we did the uh, getting the idea for uh, improved customer service and increasing ridership. And this time, because we have done so much work with City of Atlanta, and I think uh, we really need to expand our scope, not just focusing on transit, because there is a feeder system to MARTA. So mm. instead of just focusing the transit rider, we really need to focus on the, uh, you know, the, the people coming to MARA. So, um, and that's what we started to uh, approach uh, the CIO at the city of Atlanta, Samir, and say, how about we partner? So, and he was just, he jumped on it, you know, he sent it, he replied back immediately. So we started the planning and then it was, Scott, your help. I think it's coming along. The, the key goal here is, uh, you know, leveraging sensors. I think we have a lot of sensors, but we're also missing uh, quite of a few data collection point. When um, I was at a Coda for Atlanta yesterday, today the event one of our challenges is parking a lot of uh, customer feedback is I you know there's a huge sign on 400 say parking lot full but it's already too late when I get there can you do something about it so I would post that challenge on the slack with code of Atlanta and we're gonna put a bunch of a uh, challenge we can think of so not only just doing an app um, you know, getting some kind of uh, rewards and things like that. But can we do something to actually get the information to the customer a little bit earlier and also use some of the data we collected to help run our business better? Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's been great because the way we've constructed this is working with partners like Code for Atlanta, who is already meeting twice a, a month to build stuff for, you know, civic technology uh, hacking, and then you've got HackGT, who's the student group that's helping us bring all of the, the Georgia Tech and other college students into the into the mix. Um, and because there's already been a vibrance, I mean, Atlanta's got a strong history of yes. civic civic tech and civic hacking. Um, going back to before I came back four or five years ago, it's been I found that a very pleasant surprise. So it's great to see a strong community already here, and you guys embracing this. Should know, out of the first one, when we did October, we had five of the prototypes that have been picked up and are moving forward. That's correct. Uh, and we're, we're looking, to showcase, looking forward to showing, showcasing them on the Saturday of the hackathon to show where, where we are with it. Because the, the main thing, uh, when you guys approached, I said, as long as this is going to be about long-term change, I'm in. And two, let's make sure prototypes see the light of day. There's nothing more frustrating for people who devote a whole 24 hours of their life to something that's awesome for it to die on the shelf. So you guys are doing great with that. Looking forward to updating people on those five projects. But I think we're getting to the end of your, your hot seat. You made it through, Ming. So <laughs> how, how can people find out more about what you guys are doing uh, on the internet? Well, I think our website is smarter.com. 
Um, and then uh, if you contact me, my LinkedIn profile is uh, Sarah Ming C. Uh, you do have to search a little bit. I, I don't, there's a glitch with LinkedIn, but you see my picture, my picture is there. And uh, I do also want to introduce uh, to the audience, I have uh, Tori Kirby, who is my director of application. He is actually the person really push and uh, to get all the idea, come the winners of the last hackathon and moving forward. He was talking to one of the uh, group last night and he actually also had a conference call with somebody else today so he's busy really man <laughs> busy busy man thank you for pushing those forward so well, well a round of applause for Ming Cease who made it through you can sit right there okay. stay there I bring Kurt and Christian back up you guys can take nice comfortable seats hopefully you refresh your drinks now this yeah. is uh, we have four get four people talking with two microphones so we can take it out of our thing um, it's a chance you guys have uh, been listening to each other and probably commiserating with some of the stuff um, <laughs> Uh, I don't. I have a couple of questions, but does anybody got a burning question they want to kick this roundtable off? Not even so much a burning question, just something that just crept up real life. So you know, this is a live uh, live audience. I have to rush out of here in probably about ten minutes. I apologize, but it's unavoidable. So just we won't make you uh, available for public comment. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a question for the city, we'll get you in first. But um, all right, so let's let's get at it. I mean, um, you guys are representing right now. Yeah. Uh, the, Private sector, public sector, you, you both, all three of you had stints in both sides of it. Um, what, what is, I mean, what's the real substance of smart city? And what is, what is the buzz word and uh, smoke and mirrors? So is there, is there a substance in smart city? Uh, I'm curious. And go. <laughs> I'll give the politically ah. broad answer, which is I think when I, when I look at the market space, I think it's a lot like cloud was five, six, seven years ago, whenever it first came out. Every vendor was doing it. No one had a standard definition for what it was. It was whatever your current list of products were that had been rebranded as cloud. That's what I'm seeing right now. But everyone's scrambling to figure out what is that killer app, what is that killer use case for smart city that people can wrap their heads around and go, that's smart city. I think it's broader than that. I think it's the intersection of a civic environment with whatever you call modern technology, and it's, it's unprecedented. There hasn't been something like that, and there will be lots of sub-markets that come out of that, but it is the complete intersection of technology and civic space. Um, I think the, it's just marketed better. Um, you know, we in the transit world, we call it intelligent transportation system. It, it's been there for 20 some years and it's so boring. But when IoT come out, it just, it's a very catchphrase. But I think the usage is the same. It's using sensor to collect data and then come back to make decisions, you know, for both the riders and also for business. So I think it's, the same concept, uh, just like cloud, you know, instead of your computers in your data center, it's going to be in somebody else's data center, but the concept is the same. Yeah, a lot of that's hard to let go of. Like for cities and, and transit organizations to say it's not within my firewalls is very scary, and that's going to be the next couple of years. So what I was going to say, uh, politically correct or incorrect or not, is um, we're at a point where we, I've been doing ITS for almost that long. Um, intelligent transportation used to be just, hey, I put up a camera, I put up a sensor, it comes into my system and it dies here. Right, it's very closed loop, very stovepiped. IoT has it's completely radicalized it, but cities don't know how to procure it. So if I can say the number one issue, the technology, it's already done. 
how to deploy this, the innovation, the use cases, we could do it all. It's not, you know, if you wanted to pay IBM $100 million, they would come in and do exactly what we need to do in Atlanta to fix traffic. Problem is, there's not $100 million available for IBM to come in and fix it, Atlanta's traffic. So what we need to do is find out a way to innovate the business model, innovate how City of Atlanta, MARTA, Greta, GDOT, all these different organizations work with MetroTech, Rody, Uber, AT&T, right? All of this has to come together in, a, in what I call it's a P3, a public-private partnership. If we don't innovate public-private partnerships, we'll get there by 2030. It'll be fantastic. Our children will love it. But if you really want it to happen now, when the technology is available, we have to innovate the process, the operation, the procurement, the business model. And it's interesting, some of the things coming out of D.C. of late are looking not so much at technology, but breaking the mold and breaking the system, and we're actually speaking with multiple layers in, in the federal government right now that are newly uh, up and running, talking about how to do things differently. The technology, I've been deployed in Silicon Valley for five years. Why am I not deployed in Minneapolis yet? Because they don't have that. Why, why not in, in, in GDOT completely? We just put it in systems that can do signal timing that's actually automated. That was in Silicon Valley five years ago. It's the business model of how to procure, how to innovate is, is the most important part of the next couple years for Smarter City. Yeah, it, it seems to me procurement's always a big issue with, with government and technology. But the other thing, too, is like you have private sector, large entities and small smartos, but also large-scale bureaucracies of the cities. But as we were talking or before starting recording, people. People have this greater expectation uh, now that I have these feedback loops that I can actually throw stuff to you. Uh, and that seems to be a challenge that I'm noticing is uh, organizations that are not used to having thousands of people giving them real-time feedback of what's broken seems to be a pain point. It's like uh, the, the guy used to shave with a face full of Novocaine, all of a sudden the Novocaine's worn off and he realizes that hurts when it starts to bleed, right? Is there, you guys seeing that with, in terms of the, the individuals who have those data, the sensors in their pockets who starting to interact and expecting more out of, out of the city, out of, out of MARTA? I can't speak for MARTA, but on the city side, thankfully, that hangover hasn't quite hit yet in the sense that we, luckily, are, in this one case, are not delivering the services in real time, and so the expectation hasn't hit there yet. We know it's inevitable, though, because with consumerization of everything, just-in-time everything, it's inevitable that the government will have to deliver services just-in-time and instantaneously, but we don't have that expectation yet. If, if you think about it from a total market standpoint, citizens probably have the lowest expectation of government services than they do of any other sector. No one expects to go into the DMV and get a, a, a driver's license in three minutes or less. Yeah, that's crazy. Right? But you expect your pizza in 30 minutes or less. So. It's the one advantage we have, but it's also why we've been in kind of a, a sheltered cove where we haven't had to deal with it. So I think what's going to happen is um, citizen expectations are going to ramp up exponentially when they realize it's possible, and we're going to have a really harsh reality where mm. government has to respond. I've got a funny story of how we talk about that FUD factor. One of the things I talked to a county at one time was, um, you know, we're your defense when this sea change happens. We'll be able to tell you, here's the counts, here's the numbers, here's the speed, you know, here's the congestion, here's the, we're going to help you get ready ahead of time because one day, all of a sudden, you're going to come in and, uh, well, I'll go back. I said, so how, how do you know you're doing a good job? They said, well, I hire my buddy, the consultancy. He or she drives a car through the, uh, that corridor and we see if it was better than the week before. 
Like, okay, how does your boss know you're doing a good job? Well, I told you, I have my buddy drive a car through the corridor, and I tell my boss that it was better or worse than the week before. I said, okay, what's going to happen the day when your boss comes in and says, I have a 1,000 emails with pictures and video from the pothole or from the signal that was out or from the exchange that wasn't working, from whatever it is. What are you going to do when the cars and the commuters become so smart and so leveraged by technology that you can't avoid it? Well, that's not going to happen. Somebody's going to do that. Somebody, and it might be somebody in this room, is going to eventually help enable the citizens to be able to say, "There's a pothole. There's a mistimed signal. I'm sitting here. Who is? I'm sitting at a red light where there's nobody at the green lights for two minutes. Right? Has anybody ever experienced that? Of course we have. That's what we're here to fix, and that's going to happen very rapidly. So I'll, I'll make that a lot more tangible. One of the the interior departments that I support is 311. When citizens have a problem, they should call 311. Government will get right on that. I know the day is coming. I can't tell you what date it is. And I hope the podcast isn't widely distributed because if Tesla's listening, they'll jump on this. But the day is coming when a te- every Tesla car in their fleet will send an immediate tweet, text, API call, whatever it is, to 311 for the local region that they're in, that they hit a pothole, that the striping is wrong, that the timing is off. I don't know what day that is, but heaven help the government agency that gets that first barrage of tweets, because that Tesla is going to be able to bombard our call center way more than any human can. And that's the reality we have to adapt to, but we haven't hit that yet. What about Marta? How are you guys seeing that? Well, I don't have the luxury. My, I barely have cell services, but now they already tweet. Facebook and you name it. So when some of our project is actually a, a result of some of the uh, complaints we get. For example, you know the cellular and the Wi-Fi on the buses. But I like we say we have a, a big trash problem, and we heard that so many times. And things like. That I think hopefully the the IoT some kind of sensor can help us. So you know, I I think one of the things Christian you hit right. We don't have the hundred million dollar to fix all the problem, and we want to make the sensor and the sensor cheap to make, and then to actually help us to use the resource very efficiently. And that's what we're hoping to get out of it. Well, I'm gonna since we do know that Kirk's got a bail on us, I'm gonna open it up to the town hall. Uh, and our first question actually is interested in uh, making sure you're part of answering it. So I'm going to swap and hand you this microphone, and then you can ask there. So introduce yourself and who you are and what's your question. So hi, I'm Thad Ovi with Park and Cycles. We make electronic bicycle racks, so your bicycle secure when you ride around. Uh, the question I have is, Christian mentioned by 2030, everything should be nice, everybody's playing, and we, we're totally connected and everything. But what would happen if the city were to open up to the tech community that's here right now and be able to move and partner up with everybody at the level of technology that's currently in the startups around the city with the data that they have? How much sooner could we get to that point where everybody's playing around and being nice with each other? I feel like that was a softball question. You know we would be going a lot faster if we could do that, right? Um, Christian hinted at some of the roadblocks to that, so I'm an optimist. I think the hackathons, I think the events where we even just broadcast what data we have available, because the average citizen doesn't know the hundreds of data sets that the city has available. And conversely, the city doesn't know which of those hundreds of data sets the citizen or the, the development community would like to have access to. As we start to have that dialogue and open up that transparency, it will foster it. But as he said, one of our biggest challenges is on the procurement side. We have a procurement model that's based on 
roads and bridges, but the reality is it was it was coded in 1920s and 1930s to deal with Tammany Hall type issues, right? It hasn't caught up to agile technology developments, those sorts of things. And I think if we were to expose our 1920s procurement processes, and that's not a slam on Atlanta, that's, that's true everywhere, right? All government is. To today's startup community, it would be, you know, I can't even imagine, talk about Mars and Venus. So there's a, there's a gap there that we somehow have to shrink. And that's part of what we're trying to do behind the scenes is figure out how do we acquire technology more nimbly so that we can start to have that dialogue. Because we know we don't have the answers, but we want to engage the community as fast as possible. President Obama actually was the first president to have a CTO. And I saw his, his brand new spanking new CTO speak about two weeks after he was sworn in. And um, he was at a speech, and I still don't know if this was his quote or if I derived it from a speech that he said. So I'll attribute it to him. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, he was a CTO of Virginia and then went on. He said, no innovation, or I said, I'm not sure, no innovations ever come through an RFP process. An RFP process is specifically designed to be anti-innovation. It's to buy concrete and bridges and asphalt and train cars and things that are commoditized. And what it's designed to do is, like he said, Tammany Hall, to push the corruption down. It doesn't eliminate corruption. It just pushes it so deep that you can't even see it. So innovation is absolutely killed by our current procurement model, which is why we're looking forward to really seeing an innovation and business and government working together in public-private partnerships. You want to add something, um, Yes, actually, um, yesterday I was uh, with Luigi uh, Cofortelana. He is uh, oh, putting together open government data portal, and he's collecting that information. I think uh, Kirk very nicely is also collecting some of the data um, will be available, and I think we're going to unveil that during the hackathon. And Marta, we have a developer network, and. Tori really team worked really hard on that. Um, also for Hackathon, we releasing some of the ridership information, on-time performance information, and the parking information. So we are do trying, and uh, you know there is not traditionally. Well, I think Kirk and I will know how difficult it is to persuade, uh, you know, some of the the uh, uh, you know back office people to actually releasing these data. But I do think for the benefits of uh, the city and our riders, I think it's just going to start the trend. Yeah, well, I'm going to give you a graceful exit, Kirk, so thank you for joining us. I know you got an early departure, so quick round of applause for our, our friend. We'll, uh, we'll get you connected and uh, look forward to uh, working with you at the February 24th, 25th. Thank you so, very much. Thank you. Enjoy. Good luck. And now, next question, we got Eric. Go ahead and introduce yourself, what you do, and what your question is. Hi, my name is Eric, and I'm a student at Georgia Tech. And uh, I just had a general question for um, what ideas do you have for approaching the sort of invisible technology pr uh, problem? I mean, when you look at kind of smart cities, obviously it takes funding, right? And if you make this, you know, magical algorithm that solves traffic, well, to the average person, you know, that's invisible. You know, how do they know that your incredible algorithm just, you know, saved them all this time? If, you know, so um, I guess. What type of outreach ideas do you have for kind of letting the general public know when you make these changes um, that you save them that time? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, so the well, it should be. He's one of our uh, hackathon participants last I time. I got to tell you, I have really kicked ass with his project. I have a daughter who's a student at Tech. I know how smart they are. So. Um, 
so the invisible sensor, uh, you know, one of the things we were working in one of the states and they said, well, what's your current solution for, for, wire, for uh, detecting wrong-way drivers? So we put up a bunch of radar. So well, what's the first thing you do once you get a wrong-way driver hit? We look for the closest video. So why don't I use video as the detector and maybe couple it with radar? So the, the whole idea of the visual, the transparency, the seeing, the reason that video is the ultimate sensor is because I, I can do things, I can derive data from it, but I can always have the visual verification, I can have the chain of custody for court hearings, for enforcement, for all kinds of things. So I'm not saying that video is the only sensor, I'm saying it's the ultimate sensor. Video plus LiDAR is absolutely the perfect sensor as we currently have from a technology standpoint. It's an interesting question uh, because it's, it's if technology has solved the problem, the challenge really is that people don't understand there was a problem to begin with. They, yep. you, you've erased it. So how do you make sure that people understand here's what we've solved? The second part of that, uh, which is, again, was a great question, is the uh, Ford, I was meeting with Ford talking about, well, we can increase traffic, help your, your people get home. They said, look, when somebody drives an econo car of ours, they get leaves. The better they drive, the more economically it is or eco-friendly it is. How do I show that they had a good uh, a good trip home. I said, okay, well that's easy. So we're driving home, you're driving along, and we tell you to go a different route, right? Because there's congestion. What if I take a JPEG of that congestion that we routed you around, and then when you get home in the driveway, we say, you just saved two miles, you just saved 40 minutes, and by the way, here's the picture of the congestion we just took you around. And Ford went, that's it, that solves the problem. Because right now, I don't know that it's better. And we've talked to some transit, or not transit, um, uh, tolling agencies. The, the whole thing about tolling is, I charge you so much on I-85 hotlines is a great example. I'm gonna charge you three cents or was it $12? It's been, it's been artificially limited, which is why the 35 to the 45 average. But um, you know, I don't know what the alternative is unless it's sitting next to me in the lanes like at I-85. So if I've got a toll road and I've got another alternative route, I don't know what that other route's doing. And one of the things we've talked about is, well, let's show them what the route is. Let's do the better pricing. Let's give you transparency. Show me arterial road. Show me interstate and free road. Show me congested uh, or, or a tolling road. And let me see the comparison of what the travel times are. Give that to consumer. Price it appropriately, but let them make the decision. If an extra 15 minutes is worth $3 to me, let me do it. But we want to get the consumer, the commuter, that type of information. The same thing goes with rail, right? One of the great uh, arguments I had from Greta was uh, I had some driver once say, you know, one day traffic is really bad on 400, and I pulled over an exit 14 on the Greta lot, and I got there, and by golly, uh, the parking lot was full, and it wasted me 15 damn minutes. I'll never pull over and get on Greta again. Right, and this was actually a Greta employee. They gives the example. They said, "Can I show the parking lot availability to avoid that from happening? To so that person's not cut off. So it's little bits of information that we can provide to our commuters, and our consumers, and our and our drivers, and our commercial fleets that will help them get through their day. That I think are, are so important for that transparency that he talked about. How do you guys do it with Marta? I mean, in terms of showing the the positive impact that you're making, that's taking away something that they're they're not feeling that pain anymore. You solve that for them. I don't think we have achieved that, and uh, that was the ultimate goal. I think uh, everybody in the smart city, IoT world, we want to do. So um, again, you know, preventive maintenance, 
our bus, you know, it breaks down and it impacts everybody on the bus. So some of the things we want to do is make sure we can do predictive analysis. And these are hard to do. We actually tried it. We have an engine alert. We started sending to the maintenance folks, say, you know, look at it. But there are so many alerts. They come back in a week, say, would you please turn it off? Because <laughs> I, I, we can't handle it. It takes yeah. so much manpower to do it. So I think, it, it, you know, it's take development. I, I heard there's like about 4,000 IoT company right now. I think it's, um, you know, there's technology, there's also algorithm. Um, I, I still need some time to develop that. So I did consulting for WMATA about 10 years ago uh, when I was with IBM at the Digital Cities Group, and one of the great things they gave me the feedback was, so we've, we've now got this alert to say the blue line is five minutes late, but the trains come at five-minute intervals, so it's worthless information to me. So please make sure you're sending out information that's germane to me as a, as a commuter, right? Is it closer to walk to the next station? Um, it's just there's so much to consider, and you need transit, you need traffic data, you need all of this to come together. Now we've got all the shared services. Transportation as a service, which is both a competitor but also a last mile aggregator to you, right? And that's gotta be a huge innovative breakthrough for you guys to start working with. Yeah, and I think we recognize that in the transit world, and we still try to come up with a good business model, how we actually can complement each other. So. All right, we got time for one more question here. And Seth, here you go. Hi, yes. My name is Seth. I work for uh, Perennial Properties, a real estate developer here. And my question is, how do we blend data and all this information that we know what lines and what roads are the most used with transit expansion? Because even though the connector theoretically is the most used road in the metro area, putting a MARTA line through the middle of it wouldn't actually equate to more ridership. So how do you guys work together to figure out politically and data-wise what routes are the best for expansion and things like that, especially with the MARTA bill being passed a couple months ago. And we actually explored some of uh, uh, the kind of solution. I don't know if you were in the last hackathon. One of the uh, um, honorable mention uh, winner is actually they tried to kind of a find out the impact of uh, the referendum, all the project within the referendum, what's their impact as far as how much it costs and how many, what's the population impact. I don't think there is a very uh, scientific way to do that. That's definitely some opportunity there for us to nail down about, um, you know, what is really what is really impact, but you do have to use your historical data and kind of do some projection in the future. You don't want to ask them? I, I do. I'm, I'm probably not politically correct, though, but MARTA has both buses and trains, right? And, and you know, train main trunk rails, I think, are really important, but I think the whole thing of what we're grasping for from a transit in Atlanta, needing it more than, than a lot of major cities, is the last mile, is the flexible route. And once we get autonomous vehicles, uh, I don't want to ask you to step out of turn here or, or quote something, but really the cost of the bus is not, it's, it's a fixed cost. The cost of the driver is really your expense. If I'm going to run a bus 24 hours, I've got to have three FTEs, which is a lot of dang money. So to put a new route in, it's the, it's the person cost, not the physical asset cost, correct? So if we have autonomous vehicles, if we have last mile vans and 
you know, even have large buses that can go through a corridor 24-7. But, you know, what I'm really interested in is, you know, what about the safety elements I can give with with an Uber or a headless Uber, like they're deploying in Pittsburgh now, where our partner Autonomy in Singapore is deploying. What about being able to say, you know, these five people are going to these five places, send those cars out and bring them back for the next bus. That innovation of autonomy is going to blow the, the lid off of this, and I think it's going to blow the lid off for transit, for transportation as a service, and just congestion in general. Right? The only question that I haven't really addressed in this that I haven't figured out is if, if my autonomous vehicle takes me to the airport, and then drives home to save me for paying for parking, am I doubling, I'm obviously doubling the trips, is that good or bad for traffic? Mm-hmm. Or can I have my car wait till a time when traffic's low and then go? So pay traffic for an hour, go to a, a cell lot for autonomous vehicles. So these are a lot of the questions, I don't want to get into the Homeland Security questions about driverless bombs and all that stuff, but just the idea, there's so much to figure out from a robotics car, autonomous car, in the next five years, it's going to be fascinating sitting back and watching it happen. All right. See, answer your question, Seth. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You gonna sneak in there? Can I follow up question? Got got a follow up. All right. I'll, I'll fudge you. Follow up question. Hi. So, um, cybersecurity has been uh, in the headlines quite a bit lately, and uh, just my general question is: um, Do you believe that companies that provide smart city services have an ethical responsibility to anonymize the data that they collect about, like you know, individuals and things like that? Well, um, I'm not a, a smart city hosting uh, company, but I, cybersecurity is big back in the office. I, you know, I don't think we um, ever going to do enough for the cybersecurity. I just there's kids like you, just so smart, and uh, you know, and you have like unlimited time. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think we really take it seriously, and uh, we have the best firewall, and that's when we have a, a crew of a, a you know very technical engineer, and they always try there to work on there. Eventually, it's like what you say, tokenized the information. That is the the ultimate goal. Um, some of our we are looking at you know the credit card information we want to tokenize it because then we don't have to worry about PCI everything so it's easy for uh, us as a merchant it's also safer for the people using our service so I don't know um, and uh, for us uh, you know besides of the credit card information we really don't have a lot of, uh, of the the private information but we're going to roll out mobile ticketing. So mobile ticketing has the, the phone number and associated to your uh, origin destination. And we take it very seriously. Um, we are using companies to like do penetration testing and really protect everybody's data. I think that from the privacy standpoint, we heard in the last few years, privacy is dead. And they said, well, the millennial generation doesn't care about their privacy. And this is very unscientific, but who here does not care that Google right now knows where you are? Show of hands. Who doesn't care that Google doesn't know? All right. Less than I thought. Okay. Who doesn't care that the Fulton County Sheriff doesn't know where you're at? Okay, so the one person put their hand up, so that's my point. Everybody says, privacy, no big deal, Facebook, I don't care. What about your local government? Ugh. Right? So this whole privacy is dead thing is kind of a little bit crap, I think, because people are okay with privacy until you say, Facebook's selling that to the local sheriff. Oh. 
So this is coming. I, I don't think this whole argument that privacy is dead is going to go away. And by the way, facial recognition I worked with 10 years ago at IBM, it was FBI fingerprint good enough at that time with the right camera. It's even better now. I can do it from a long distance away. Mm -hmm. So privacy in that respect is dead, and we do need to look at it from a standpoint. But I, I shouldn't be able to track your cell phone. I shouldn't be able to track your MDN. I shouldn't be able to track your face for certain situations, right? I don't want to do it for demographic for selling that off. But from a Homeland Security standpoint, right, was it important in Boston to catch the, the killers and to do that stuff? It is. So again, it's a really tough problem we deal with. I'm for privacy. I think it's an important part. Our solution counts cars, not tracks people. And that's why we kind of set it up from a privacy standpoint is I don't need to track you to know what's going on on, on Spring Street. But it's going to evolve. And, and I think privacy is a key part of it. Awesome. Well, we have reached the end of the hump day exchange. It's been a really fun exchange. Um, I want to uh, thank you, uh, uh, everyone, for joining us tonight for tonight's episode of the Humday Exchange. Thanks to our guests, uh, Kirk Talbot and Christian Kotcher and Sarah Ming-Si, our strategic partners, University Financing Foundation, Gateway Development Service, ATDC, Scheller College of Business, Keysight Technologies, MARTA, and Honeywell. Be sure to check out TechSquareATL.com for regular stories about TechSquare. That's where we post these podcasts. Learn more about the Sandbox ATL membership network at SandboxATL.com. And if you're looking to break, uh, book your breakthrough event, you can go to BookTheGarage.com and learn more about the garage at TechSquare. Final thanks to all of you, our listeners, and those of you here in the audience. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love to uh, know that you share the podcast with all your friends. So thank you very much. Round of applause for everyone tonight. Enjoy. And until next time. TechSquare ATL is a media studio connecting you to the heart of Atlanta's tech community. Copyright Sandbox Communities, LLC. Fox 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 Communities, LLC.